This is this is one of the casualties of, of COVID nineteen. It's the fluidity with which we interact yeah. in real life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Someone's always frozen with these. I'm gonna start doing it in real life too. I'm just gonna kind of like freeze and then disappear <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> it's called dissociating. <laughs> Welcome to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I'm Bethy Squires, and my favorite Val Kilmer movie is The Doors. With me is Thomas Gravinsky. Thomas, what's your favorite Kilmer flick? Uh, that's tough, but maybe MacGruber? Oh, fuck. Okay, I may have to reevaluate my Val Kilmer choice picks. And uh, joining us today is a special guest, Jossie Kaufman, What's your favorite Val Kilmer movie? Is it this one? Um, I'm going to say a troll answer, and I'm going to say The Snowman. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Which I honestly had not a bad time seeing in theaters. Um, Question. But Is that the Mr. Police movie? That's the Mr. Police movie, and I saw it in theaters, and I found it very intriguing. He is in it. A lot of his audio seems 80-yard. And his involvement is, like, one of, like, I would say seven fascinating details about that movie. I I, I kind of want to watch it again, honestly. Do you know why he was ADR'd so heavily in that movie? Um, is it is it to do with his chronic illness? It was to do with his throat cancer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's for a sad, a sad, sad reason. <laughs> but it results in something really, really Really unique. interesting. Really interesting. It's like they didn't film the back 40% of that movie, so they just kind of patched together what they had filmed. And I think it's kind of beautiful postmodern art. <laughs> I kind of love a movie that um, is like so heavily ADR'd or like chopped up that even though it was filmed in the U.S., it has the the vibe of like a Euro, Euro trash movie, like a Giallo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's even like I think it, I think it's not filmed in Iceland, but somewhere Nordic, and it kind of has the pacing of a Nordic movie. Um, and also the the techno song Popcorn like is like integral oh, yeah. to the plot. Like it plays like three times. That sequence and... is so good when he goes <laughs> yeah, in and the guy honestly. is wearing the full plastic suit and. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a the snowman defender, so I I'm don't. Kind... I don't think it's terrible. I think it's like broken. Like it it's was broken. clearly a troubled production because there are huge pieces of the movie that are missing but I think the sequences that are there are like not really laughable. Like there's nothing like yeah. funny or like mockable really about the movie. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's it's kind of, it almost feels like found footage sometimes how, how like they just kind of assembled it when it wasn't complete and I think that that, that made it interesting to watch. And it's it's also just about uh, someone who murders and then leaves a snowman. It's like an awesome concept. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> it's sorry. like kind of sweet. <laughs> I went down an internet hole. Sometimes I will refresh myself on bits of American history for which I was alive but not super tapped into. And I was mm-hmm. recently reading about the DC sniper. I just that that that's where you end up in your post nine eleven <laughs> whatever. But um. 
The DC sniper on the tarot card that he autographed and, and wrote his note for police on, he calls them Mr. Police. Did you Whoa. know that? No, yeah. I did not the know DC that. The DC sniper addresses that, the, the, the police investigating him as Mr. Police. That's really... And also, isn't the snowman... I think it's also based on, like, uh, a, a dad murder mystery novel. Yeah, it's, it's right. Yo yeah. Nesbu, who is, I think, a Norwegian author. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that makes sense. This all makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, check check out Val Kilmer's <laughs> specific weird <laughs> performance in The Snowman. Uh, the uh, the DC yeah. Sniper inspired a really good episode of Law & Order, which featured a really young Sebastian Stan. Oh, Ooh, interesting. How young we talking? Like 17? <laughs> He's like still very five. doughy. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. it was like an eight-year-old Sebastian Stan as the sniper. <laughs> like a Cole Sprouse, like a Sprouse twin. <laughs> yeah, it was Sebastian and... Big Daddy era. And the sweet life of Sebastian Stan. <laughs> Sebastian Good and Burbastian Stan, the Stan twins. <laughs> Burbastian has left acting. Yeah, yeah. He, he makes mead now. <laughs> he's a New York City guy. Yeah. He models sometimes, a... but it's like not a big deal. <laughs> he's always at this one open mic playing songs. <laughs> <laughs> Just playing songs. <laughs> uh, despite what this past five minutes or so might lead you to believe, we're here to talk about Top Secret, the Zucker Abram Zucker flop that has only gotten better with age. But first, before we want to talk about that, Jossie, we want to ask you, as we do of all of our guests, all two of them so far, <laughs> uh, what is your experience with like watching movies in bars or hanging out in bars? What's your bar life like? I I really like bars um, personally. I and I yearn, especially now. I like I I never really found my L.A. bar that I can just like be a bar fly at <laughs> I I feel like in my I haven't really found the good bar fly places for myself in LA but I love a bar that has like a populous like a populous niche like whether that's like hey they give you free peanuts or like yeah. or like until 1am you can get a cheeseburger on these certain days if a guy's working the the grill you can get a cheeseburger there was a one in Iowa City named George's. Um, and so I like smaller bars where you are both, you feel anonymous, but then also it's it's small enough that everyone knows who the guys are <laughs> in there, like in the room. You, you have a pretty good uh, vision of everyone there. I get kind of overwhelmed with crowded bars. Mm-hmm. I don't like... I, I don't like being a sardine in a can at a bar, but I, I like a nice, like, you can sit, you could bring a book, you could talk to someone for three hours covertly, and uh, even talking about this, it feels like I'm talking about a fictional world that has never right. existed, and that I'm, like, making up out of nowhere, <laughs> because yeah. it's just been so long. But uh, I, as far as bar movies go... When I've had positive experiences with someone playing a movie on mute that wasn't just like they left the, a local channel on, like they like loaded up a movie specifically for the purpose of being played on the background, I've always, I've always had my mind blown. And also, I like stick to it like, like flypaper. Like I think it's a really cool move. People do it at parties. I think I see that more often. But like, I. 
There are like movies that I don't know the name of, but I know so visually <laughs> that I've never seen that I've been like totally tunnel visioned in on for a full 47 minutes. And like, like I think movies with like fight choreography or like with big physical comedy, they work so well. I think maybe I first saw Roadhouse on mute. I definitely saw Terminator 2 first on mute. <laughs> Incredible. And well, Christmas music was playing. So that's one. <laughs> and for it, sure. it was awesome. It was like so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I first saw Holy Mountain at a festival party. Oh, that's sick. On mute. It was like at a, a noise musicians like festivus party so they were like making their own new <laughs> soundtrack cool. to it i wish like, i yeah i want to be in more situations loops. like that i think i think it's a, <laughs> a totally fruitful area to explore but that's that's a brief history basically i like bars i like movie on mute <laughs> i'm a fan jossie before we get too far away from iowa city bars what are your thoughts on gabe's oasis <sighs> Gabe's, Gabe's, Gabe's. Gabe's, I'm, I like Gabe's. I gotta say it. It's got two floors and it's also one of the few Iowa City bars that really has a music, like really has someone booking the music. And so we'd get like cool acts, like we get like open mic eagle or you'd get like cool punk bands, you'd get stuff like that. But then also it'd be like, oh, my friend, like my friend Terry's DJing funk night on Tuesday and like maybe seven people will be there dancing and it's going to be super fun. So I think, I think Gabe's, Gabe's is great to have around. If <laughs> It like serves a very specific utility, but you don't want to be there on every night. The crowd varies wildly. Oh, yeah. And then also between downstairs and upstairs. I've only been, I've been to, to some of the worst there. comedy shows. Of, I've been to some of the worst comedy shows of all time at the upstairs, <laughs> upstairs of Gabe's. And they have a great outdoor patio, I gotta say. It's one of those outdoor patios that you can disappear through the gate. Like, like oh. if you need to do a French exit, you can just go out the, the wood gate, and then you're in an alley, and you're free for the night. So, If you're a resident of Los I, Angeles listening to this podcast, we recommend you check out Gabe's Oasis in Iowa City. Oh, check out ooh, the calendar. The truest oasis. I, th- I think I saw, like, I saw, like, Cloud Nothings there. I saw Proto Martyr there. I think I saw get, Mets there. Yeah. They, they always had some of the better shows in central Iowa. I stayed subscribed to their, like, music calendar, like, their band booking calendar. I subscribed to that email for probably two years after I moved out of Iowa City because I was just like, I just want to see how they're doing. I want to see who they're getting. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, Jossie, have you been to Dave's on Broadway Wait, in Glendale? Uh, is this like a sports bra? No. Not really, but they have free hot dogs <gasps> is why I thought you should know. <laughs> that gasp was really honest <laughs> when you said free hot dogs. <laughs> no, no. I think I've seen photos of this. Wait. Oh, gosh. No, I got to go here. This sounds great. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of exploring. Yeah. It's extremely divey. Free hot dogs. They have pool there. Extremely divey. Uh, one of those jukeboxes that play everything, which I'm on the fence about. Mm. I prefer a curated jukebox, but I'll settle for one of those ones that's mm-hmm. just like a big old iPod, essentially. Does that place have a corner entrance? I can't. I don't. I don't think it's on the... It is on the corner, but I don't think the entrance is on the corner. It's right by uh, Glendale Pho Company. 
Okay. Have you done karaoke there? No, I've still haven't done karaoke there. Okay, that's cool. That's a cool thing to think about. <laughs> the one, actually, there is one bar that I've found that I really like, and it's Glendale Tap in Glendale. Uh, and they have a really good beer selection, and they have free pool and free peanuts. Oh, wow. And they always got the game on. So <laughs> I'm pretty satiated there. Something to look at and something to eat, something to do. What games do you prefer to watch on at a bar? I So I grew up, like, I was, I just told someone this. Like, basically, I see this, the way that some people feel felt entrenched by religion growing up, I felt entrenched by college sports and <laughs> NFL football. Uh, so honestly, I will watch the Green Bay Packers at a bar very happily, or my buddy Conant, beloved Conant, uh, if he wants to watch any NFL game, I will go to a bar and watch it too uh, with him. We used to do NFL Sundays where we would just go to a sports bar and like try to find a place to order wings and drink a big beer. <laughs> and it's more of a comfort thing than any like, it's, it's kind of nice to, I mean, it's the same with movies where it's just, like, so nice to have something to idly have. It's, like, something that you don't need to pay strict attention to. You can drift in and out, and, like, if there's a lull in the conversation, you can always draw back to the game and just be like, oh, wow, look at that. New Allstate commercial. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. It's funny you mentioned Glendale Tap when I was asking Uh, about the corner entrance. Oh, yeah. That is the bar. That place is great. I went to a burger pop up there and then went a couple times after that. I love that that. place. I'm excited to go back. Any day now, inshallah. Any day now. Um, And lastly, do you have, what's your usual order at a bar? So, uh, yeah, I I worked at a brewery. My brother's a brewer uh, and... I don't like to take huge swings and buying like beer for at home. So beers are like that. A bar is a good place for me to explore a beer uh, and see what they have that sounds new or interesting. And typically I'll go for like, I like stouts. I like things that have like robust flavors. I like a nice, just like easy sip in ale. But if I'm drinking liquor, my go-to drink is normally a whiskey soda with a lemon it's sweet it's refreshing i like the taste of whiskey but also i'm a bit of a baby so i like it diluted (laughs) and a little sparkly so it's to me the perfect drink there's something um that is really taxing about buying a six-pack of beer to try yeah it's like I feel like a rube when I'm doing it, even though it's something I want to do and, like, no one's tricking me. <laughs> but you're worrying you're tricking yourself because it's, like, yes. it's an, a fridge space investment that you are not sure is going to pay off. And then if it just sits yeah. there, then you feel like a weird wino if you buy something else to drink. It's like I have seven different beers. Yeah. <laughs> also, it sucks because it, I, it is, like, with beer – you really have to judge by the cover. Like, I will just buy the cutest label, and <laughs> that makes me also feel like a rube. But honestly, some breweries that care about the graphic design of their cans also make good beers when they're attention or, or like detail oriented like that. There can be some overlap. Jassy, was there a time that you fucked up memorably when trying a new beer? Is, is there is there a particular six pack you can think of that was just a disaster? So like there. I, I like sour beers, um, and you can really swing poorly with a sour beer, especially if it's also, like, a European beer. Oh, yeah. 
I think one time I got like this cherry European beer and it was like so horrible. It felt like drinking like cherry flavored maple syrup mm. or something. It was so bad. It was so bad. So uh. like big swings like that, like are even harder to take. So like normally at a ho- at home, I'm like a 24 pack of PBR where it's like we got a sip in beer and then every once in a while I'll get like a can from the, the local corner shop that sells craft beer. But <laughs> but I've been humbled. But also it's like having the humility to at any point be willing to spend seven dollars, I think, <laughs> is like whatever I'll buy. I'll buy this. The Like that's why I prefer to buy cans, I think. Because it's like, whatever, it's like a $4 can, and if I don't like it, who cares? I can I could deal with some adversity. I'll just drink this horrible thing I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. There's one, every time I go to buy groceries, there's a beer that I see that, that knocks me on my ass, which is called the Belgian Beaver Peanut Butter Stout, no. which is maybe the least appealing collection of words uh, you could put on a that beer can. Me. Oh yeah, peanut butter stouts are just. I don't want peanut butter in my beer. I've decided. I really don't. I don't need it. I've never had one. That sounds terrifying. I do feel like <laughs> I have really been taken for a ride by a couple Dunkles, Dunkles dark beers that feel more like mm, you're drinking yep. bread than having like a refreshing beverage. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes European style beers can just go a little. It's just not what you're expecting sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes that is like the comfort of a beer is to like the fami- familiarity more so than anything that's going to really challenge your palate. To harken back to our swingers episode, Bethy, I think the place I'm most likely to have a really dark European beer that's more akin to a wine is the Dresden before seeing a movie <laughs> in 3. I don't know why, but yeah. that's a place where I always oh, totally. take a swing just <laughs> I think chronically. That makes sense. Sorry. (laughs) So, yeah, we are, in theory, talking about Top Secret. What made you want to bring this movie to the pod, Jossie? Uh, So, yeah, when I first saw it, when I first moved to Los Angeles and was looking for a place to just be around people who maybe liked the same things as me, one of my favorite things to do was the UCB Sunset Theater had this like offshoot room called the inner sanctum, which basically looks like a church multi-purpose room. Like it really it's not did. a great, it's not a great place for a live improv. On it. And I've like done shows there. It, it's a really hard place to fill with energy at all, but they had a monthly show that was really awesome. Hosted by Alex Fernie and his wife, Deborah. Uh, and, they had a show called Required Viewing, and they would invite comics and their friends to come and choose one movie that they thought was essential. Like, it should be a part of everyone's movie-going experience. And then just to talk about it beforehand. It was a re- I really loved it. I thought it was a great series. Because it'd be like, when, it, when I saw Top Secret, that was Nick Kroll's choice. And so it's it was just this really strange experience where, like, on a Tuesday evening... Me and nine other people, including Nick Kroll, sat on those couches in that weird church room (laughs) and on the projector watched Top Secret. And, like, I I just wasn't prepared for how funny it was going to be. Like, even Airplane, I've seen Airplane. And I can kind of take it or leave it, honestly. Like, there are really, really good gaffes. uh, But, like, it, it just 
it never felt like I was the the audience for it. Um, with Top Secret, I I really love a young himbo. Like I think I think like an earnest himbo is like a really beautiful comedy character, and to see Val Kilmer centered in this. Also, I'm like a, I'm a rock head, and I I love rock and roll music, and I love the concept of young Elvis and kind of like historically what he was and how he was used in films and to see this is basically like an Elvis movie parody uh slash to me it's like it's like pop star meets mission impossible <laughs> levels of fun <laughs> like uh, oh, nice. and so yeah, yeah. I like saw it again in a friend's again like a friend was doing a screening series and like both times with both audiences just like the laughs specifically from people who love comedy and love practical effects, love like like physical comedy, things that are staged, underwater fight choreography. <laughs> I, I like it just it, it feels like something that's just so joyful. And like you said, Bethy, it like only gets better with age as we like appreciate those things more. It also feels like the proto version of I was like really trying to find contemporary things to connect it to. And I was like is this what eventually gave us like epic movie? <laughs> like where, where, like what is this? How did this get this style of comedy get played out so bad? Yeah. I think the spoof tradition over the decades has lost its way. Yeah. Like in my head, I think that I categorically don't love something like this because so many versions of this are not funny to me, but Top Secret was new for me. It wasn't on my radar at all. Yeah. And I laughed my <laughs> fucking ass yeah. up by myself. It's it's an insanely funny movie. There are like a handful of bits out the gate in the first 10 minutes of the movie that yeah. are so inspired and like stupid, but yeah. like magically stupid, where I was just floored. It's Yeah, it's yeah. Incredible. And that's like, honestly, it was, first of all, just excited for the opportunity to watch it again because I'd seen it twice and I was like, I it still feels surprising to see just how to what end or the amount of effort they put in for like the stupidest <laughs> payoff yeah like is so amazing and then also thinking about it like all of the things that stuck out immediately to me when i think of what the funniest most imaginative gags are in that movie i was like this would be an utter delight to see at a bar whether or not you had seen it like I, I something I really appreciate about it is it knows when the dialogue is dispensable because they'll have like they'll have a a, a thing that is on the payoff is only there if you're paying attention to the background and they're saying some nonsense about war and they just like have this like filler dialogue so you can watch like when he gets fitted for a suit at the restaurant when he doesn't have a jacket incredible <laughs> and he's getting his pants taken down and his inseam measured i th- i think that's part I, of what yeah. makes the movie great is uh that it's it's so rewatchable because it's so packed that your brain cannot hold all of it inside yeah. like something is going to fall out of your memory and then oh, it, you're yeah. going to be re-surprised by the movie again it's funny that I've never met somebody who's seen this movie that doesn't love it, but I cannot overstate how much of a bomb this was. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. Did people not... Also, was it Val Kilmer's 
first movie. It's the first time he was in anything. He had only been he's a stage like, actor. He's genuinely that. incredible in this movie. Like he strikes such a perfect tone that I think, like to a Zucker brother, I'm like, this is a muse. Like he. Every, I mean, all the actors are doing a really great job with the tone in this. Like, everyone's playing it so straight, and I think that it's it must be well-directed. I don't know who to give credit for for it, but, like, Val Kilmer, it's, it's like, I was watching it, and I was like, someone should make a movie like this with one of the Vine boys. <laughs> like, just a blank slate, like, tabula rasa of, because, like, it, it's just this, like, comfortability. It's not, like... He's not cool. Like, no one's cool. <laughs> no one's, like, in on... He is both cool and not cool. He's playing a cool he character, is like an Ethan but he's Hunt. not, like... <laughs> he's not playing that character coolly, if that makes sense. No, no. Jesse, I'm really fascinated by the way you're talking about that performance, because when a second ago you said he's great in this movie, I was going to bite my tongue, because something about this movie that's so strange is I think he is terrible whoa like i, I think, think no 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 no. but I, I i i think it's i think it's complicated right i think because when you said that they should cast like one of the vine boys to do this i think yes. i think that's kind of the magic of it i think val kilmer is a good actor but i i think that they sort of reverse engineered this movie from his sort of blankness yeah. and his greenness and there's a really dynamic movie that orbits around his sort of like yes flat yeah exactly i i agree it's it's the same reason why sometimes i find zach efron really interesting and it, it's like this is oh, yeah. this is the tone he's gonna it's like this is the color of the paint like how are you going to use that color of the paint and i think it's like it just really works for me in this movie uh, for what he represents. And also, he's like a vapid American pop star. And then it's also like kind of... He's like doing an Elvis bit, Yeah, so yeah. Elvis was not exactly. known for yeah. his acting Elvis jobs. is like so... Like, if you watch his movies, he's, he's like, he showed up on set and then he sings. <laughs> Val Kilmer has these line readings that are so unself-aware that clearly are engineered by the filmmaker. When he's first in his jail cell and he's looking around and then he meets the scientist in the adjacent cell and the scientist tells him his his like terrible story of woe and Val Kilmer just goes, that sucks. Yeah, that like, <laughs> it's, that it's made us so laugh funny. out. Like I watched it with Zach and we both like cracked up at that. It it's maybe like... the funniest moment in the movie and it's just the way that his performance is deliberately played off of everything else. I don't know that he knew how funny that was. I want, yeah, whatever it is, like the tone, it's kind of like disaffected and it's the same, like that kind of like, that that delivery is also apparent like in the scene where he thinks that they're talking about him and he's like oh they clearly want me to perform and it's (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like this like cocksureness that's like really laid back and just kind of like so it's he's like a neon gas like he's just like so stably this way no matter what the insane situation is being depicted and i think it really makes it the action works so well. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think you could describe it any better than you. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a level of privilege that we will never know as as people post fall of the Berlin Wall. Like the extra the extra level of like living in America at a time when America thinks that uh, communism is evil and we're the last bastion of freedom or whatever is like this additional mm-hmm. armor that 
that Val Kilmer's character has going into every mm-hmm. situation is like not only am I uh not only am I like a straight white man like waltzing through life, I'm also an American, goddammit, and I live in a place where things <laughs> are free and I can shake my pelvis and uh buy jeans. Hell yeah. <laughs> And you see him in the jeans. You're like, jeans look pretty jeans cool. Look cool. <laughs> Val Kilmer, yeah, it can't be overstated how handsome he is in this, which makes that sort of weird that engineer is, yeah, he's really dumb beautiful. performance incredible. Beautiful. He's like so uh, soft isn't the right word. Contoured isn't. He's like a piece of what? driftwood, like that that level of like curve. <laughs> yeah, because like he even has some like like very distinct features like it's not even that he's it's not like a traditional like grecian carved face or anything it's just like truly beautiful and then again i was i thought i had was like oh this would be great to watch at a bar on mute because you don't need audio to see those legs (laughs) (laughs) those legs are so long that could be That could be two hours looking at those legs. I had a really strange experience looking at Val Kilmer's face where I did not see his smile. I really saw each of his teeth. Does that make sense? He has very... I'm a big teeth noticer. This is something about me. I don't... He has a set of teeth. Yeah, they are a group. It's that, you know, sisters, not twins situation. His teeth are very individually demarcated. Yeah, it is like drift. Yeah, it's a Top Gun. It's in Top Gun too, and he does like the, the teeth, the little teeth chomper <laughs> movement in Top Gun. It's a also, big yeah moment for his teeth. I that. this seeing this movie really unlocked Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer to me, as far as like understanding how he was like at for for a little bit one of the biggest movie stars, uh, yeah, like in film and like before I'd only really known him as older Val Kilmer and re- just didn't understand the appeal at all. I still haven't seen Top Gun, to be honest. So so this really did it for me as far as like, oh yeah, this guy, you'd want him in your movies. <laughs> Jossie, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how much you will have opinions about oh, Top yeah. Gun. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they will be, but I know you we'll and strong. I know Top Gun and you will have opinions. So you gotta, I watched a trailer you for gotta it last it. night. <laughs> I almost did it, but yeah, I'm excited. I do want to circle back briefly to the way America and East Germany are portrayed in the movie. Uh, I had mm-hmm. to write down how Nick Felkilmer's character describes America. He says, we've got the Liberty Bell, Disneyland on both coasts. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> It's happening. It's so it made me laugh so hard. It's That's happening, such a funny man. Joke. <laughs> I love thinking of like America's like it's really happening for us guys. This is exciting. If you and the Liberty yeah. Bell is one of three the Liberty components. Bell really, and happening. then you know Disneyland on both coasts. <laughs> really exciting stuff. <laughs> if I had to describe America with like two things to to do the whole swap, I don't. It would be something as insane as that. It's like we have the Bill of Rights. And the KFC double down, you know, it's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it reminds me of like trying to like pitch your hometown really mm. succinctly because <laughs> it's like you do some. It's like something historical, something cultural that is maybe not time. It's like a timeless thing and a timely thing. <laughs> but Disneyland on both coasts has you know endured the test of time. Actually, 
Yeah, I don't think I'm smart enough to be tasked with describing anything, so I think he did a good job. Leave it to the eggheads. (laughs) (laughs) But something that's really odd or... It leads into how David Zucker became a neocon insane person after 9-11, but the way that East Mm. Germany is portrayed as basically still Nazi Germany in this movie is incredible. Yeah, at points it was like, it was near, it was pretty confusing. I was like, I guess it probably was pretty weird in Germany for a while after World War II. (laughs) Like, it'd be kind of hard not to be, that to be kind of hanging in the rafters a bit. But it, it does feel like the portrayal of it, they really hung a hat on it. But being a being a world historian, I know that the Nazis had more or less gone away uh, by the time skeet surfing emerged. Correct. <laughs> There's very little overlap. This movie starts skeet so strong. Is so fucking funny. <laughs> I I was it's, in. I was in from yeah, from the jump. It's hard not to be. But when it's, yeah, when skeet surfing hits and they're running to the beach with a board in one hand and a twelve gauge in the other, <laughs> it only gets funnier when they're then paddling out and returning on the waves as people are throwing the pigeons and they're shooting them. I I was screaming. It's totally perfect. Like it's just portrayed as it is. Like it. No one. <laughs> it's it's just so down the barrel as. It's like perfect parody with this extreme detail added and like seeing them like shoot the skeets up and like misfires. (laughs) People are running away because they're like stray bucks. I love that if if this sport is done correctly, you're still basically firing into the crowd (laughs) because you, you shoot from your surfboard and the people launch it from the beach. So you always are shooting towards people. Even though normally you should be shooting higher than them, it's still in the direction of other human beings every time. Yeah. Skeet surfing is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And the song, the like Beach Boys medley parody is incredible too. The music is so good. The music, that's why it made me think of Pop Star, where it's like both they're really nailing the genre while also the songs themselves. Like, sometimes they don't really care about the songs being jokes as much, but they're just, like, good. They sound they sound really genre-specific. But, like, yeah, skeet shooting is perfect. It's, like, it's, it's <laughs> line by line. I, it's, like, hard. It's, like, this is what it would be. Like, this is just what it would be. You listen and you're, like, yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> they did a good job writing this. It's happening. I also, I like the idea, too, that, like, it, it's not clear whether skeet surfing was uh, a phenomenon about which uh, Nick Rivers wrote a song mm-hmm. or if he kind of created skeet surfing. Uh, it was something that he dreamt up and it was such a phenomenon that people bought 12 games. Yeah, there's no way to tell whether it was astroturfed or not. <laughs> I love that they show like his billboard top three hits that he has all at once. And they're all like, they all have, it's like skeet in my, your skeet in heart. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so, it's just like, it had, it's just a very funny, I think it's like critical of pop music in a really nice way. Like there's this song that he wrote, his hit, his like hit first hit song is basically just an advertisement for Macy's department store. Oh, right. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, that is like pop music. What they were doing was they were propping these pretty faces up to like 
sell a picture of America. And this one was just like so clearly to like exploit people into buying things because it sounds like a love song. <laughs> it was like conflating romance and retail. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's great. That's so apt. <laughs> Still relevant. And that he was raised by the Macy's department store because he just got like abandoned <laughs> there. <not>. As a kid. <laughs> Every monologue is perfect. <laughs> so good. Uh, should we try and explain the plot? I wrote up a summary, but it's like, the plot is truly unimportant to this movie. It's just sort of an armature that you can hang jokes on. Yeah. Yeah. Hit us hit us with the broad strokes so our huge listener base okay. will understand. <laughs> so Nick, you know, in general terms. Uh, Nick Rivers is invited to East Germany for a big cultural festival because Leonard Bernstein can't make it. Uh, the whole festival is supposed to draw international attention away from East Germany's attempt to invade West Germany using a bomb that is attracted to submarines. Uh, so Nick, before his, before his big premiere, um, he goes to a fancy supper club where he unknowingly helps the scientist who made the bomb, his daughter, uh, he helps her evade the East German police. And then in the next scene, he kills an East German police officer again to save her. So he's sentenced to death. Well, on German East German death row, he meets that Nazi scientist, but then he is freed by La Resistance, essentially. So scientist daughter and Nick Rivers join the French resistance who are working yeah. to free East Germany. <laughs> They're all so French. Uh, <laughs> Their names oh, are all so like good. stereotypical <laughs> French. Le the the introduction of Le déjà vu, where like he's like, "Have we have we met before?" And then Nick's like, "No," and look familiar. He's like, he like does a silent thing where he's like, "Oh, weird." <laughs> 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 that really makes me laugh. So since. So since Nick met Daddy Science in prison, they now have the location of the scientists and they're able to do a rescue op. So led by the lead leading lady's long lost love from like an extended blue lagoon ripoff for some reason. Uh they Or a Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> they um they travel to the prison and they're going to rescue science father. But uh-oh, it turns out that the long-lost love is actually a commie spy. And he turns on them. Nigel, you <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, he gets... So so it's up to Nick Rivers to save the daughter and uh, escape her off to America, where the two of them will... Uh, raise morale for La Resistance with their rock and roll, their American style <laughs> liberal rock and roll. That was a beautiful summary. <laughs> Betty, that, that was, was really, really good. good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, what? Why why does any of that happen is I guess my question. <laughs> I it's like this had this was a much large spy movies and international international spy movies were a pretty big genre at in the decades 
prior to this, right? Like this was when yeah, James absolutely, Bond... James Bond yeah. and all of its ripoffs. And then yeah, because it, it kind of just <clears throat> felt it felt like commentary on that genre. Like I think the the plot details provided were like as much as you would need for any one of those yeah. films. And so it does feel like they did just enough work to make it a believable plot for something in that genre. It's and they just it's like an, it, it's like the perfect amount of plot to me where you really don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out. You're like, oh, things just kind of happen. <laughs> things happen and then they figure it out. Like that's it, there's there's never like too much intrigue, which I think is helpful for the jokes and the sequences really like taking focus more than necessarily what's going to happen or what it means. I definitely had the experience watching this rewatching this movie of oh no uh, I've based way too much of my own life off of this movie or like this style of parody <laughs> like uh before before LA I I was the head of a theater troupe called Sitcom Theater <laughs> where we I wrote a couple plays that were all sort of uh parody genre parody mashups so they'd be like you know, thing one plus thing two, like uh, a friend of mine, he wanted to do a spoof on Varsity Blues. I wanted to do an Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So we just did Invasion of the Body Snatchers during the big game. And this movie is done exactly the same way where they the Zuckers wanted to do an Elvis movie and they wanted to do a World War Two movie. They wanted to do like if Elvis was in The Great Escape. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, but famously Elvis... Rock and roll way after World War II. It's like, okay, fine. We'll still, well, East Germany is basically Nazi Germany, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> and it's all, it's all about like they have two tastes that they want to put together and everything else is sort of secondary to that, that flavor mashup. Yeah. I was just to say, you can see other influences too. Like, I feel like Hard Day's Night is in there. Like, the, the sequence that they do with all the women screaming makes me laugh so much where they, they like hold on them for like two seconds before a screen so goes funny. like, nah! like right at the end. I don't know what, how do you even describe what that is? <laughs> but it's like so specific. And then, like, and then in the same sequence, a little girl gets so horny that she dies. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's that's feminism. I think that that's awesome. That's feminism. That's progressive. <laughs> That scene is so funny because all of the everyone in the audience no. is screaming at different times. It's not like they're responding to the same obvious moments of performance that should elicit a scream. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're holding on one of them and they're like a ticking time bomb and they're like and their body is like is clenched like, and then uh, <laughs> it's sort of a riff on some of like the pageantry of like a James Brown, whereas like his mm-hmm. his backup band is like you know keeping him like oh Nick Rivers keeps trying to kill himself in various ways like sticking his head in an oven or like hanging himself <laughs> that oh, that bit works so well that made me laugh so hard yeah he starts by hanging himself in then the oven and you think the bit is done <laughs> and the camera tilts down to reveal railroad, railroad tracks, tracks that he lays down it's like, on it's like the silliest <laughs> it's it's the silliest suicide bit it's like the like most has the yeah, most yeah, levity yeah. because it's like clear it's just making fun of like the long vamp out where you're like, ah, ah, I'm so sad it's like um mm-hmm. it's, um the end of the road boys to men where where he vamps and he's like i don't know what to do with myself <laughs> it's and it yeah like continues to be relevant 
Oh, man. And then I'll, another thing I like about this movie, it's, like, similar to what you're asking about the plot, where it's just, like, why did they need to do all that? <laughs> They'll do things where it's just, like, yeah. why did, like, the scene where that's all in backwards, that's that's completely shot backwards and like, one shot. I'm just like, eat your heart out, David Lynch. Like, well, I don't know what they're doing here. <laughs> is it just because or is that German one supposed to be Swedish? Like English backwards? Like, what? That's is... Swedish. And I don't know. Is yeah, I'm not Swedish? sure exactly why that or why they get Peter Cushing for that scene. Why put this old man through <laughs> this? <laughs> it was like, I was like, this. Val Kilmer's throwing the books up onto the and shelf. And then, like, he, like, he, like, brushes the dirt off his shoulder. Like, he's like, yep, I did that. <laughs> he's... But he's also, like, totally fucking it up. Like, a lot of his wind-ups don't make sense. And they're like, this is funny. We'll leave I it in. I think that's true. I think it's just, like, it's very funny. <laughs> this feels like a, a place to maybe take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're just going to keep talking bits with our bit draft. Welcome to Bit Draft, the only sports draft-based comedy podcast on the entire internet. We've pioneered the genre, and what we're <laughs> what we're doing today—I <laughs> can't believe it—is so we're ranking the best bits, just the best goof ups, the best set pieces, however you want to say it, the best jokes. This movie is nothing but jokes, and there's no way to talk about it in a way that's not. Like, do you remember when that happened? That was cool. The movie, what you were talking about earlier with the the plot mm-hmm. and, and and justifying the plot, it's a joke delivery no, it's, machine. It's a, the movie is fucking. The non-stop. movie is like a, yeah. an elaborate Pee Wee Herman's breakfast <clears throat> apparatus to deliver jokes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I don't care how what order we do this in, but we're each going to pick our top three and go around. How do we want to set who goes first? Yeah, are we going to do a snake-style draft, or how are you thinking? We could do snake, we could do round robin, we could do alphabetical. If you're listening right now, <laughs> yeah, do, you have, yeah. do you have thoughts? Do, you, do, you, do any of you want to... Yeah, roll your window down and shout, <laughs> shout it into the 101 what you think Maybe we should be doing. text us <laughs> right now? <laughs> Is that cool? My, I did tell my mom I was doing this, and she, I was like, I'm doing my friend's podcast, and she was like, Is there any way I could listen live? <laughs> and I was Aww. like, No. I can send her. I It'll can send her out. the Google link if she wants to join <laughs> the, the conversation. <laughs> it can be like the Drew Barrymore show where there's just this like silent, these silent <laughs> windows of people going. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, then I, I was literally like, I was like, oh, well, I'm sure that they'll put it out eventually, and then you can just listen to it. And she was like, oh, they're going to be recording it? Okay. And I was like, <laughs> she's so nice. What does I your love mom her. think a podcast so I think is? She thought I was describing, like, I'm going to be having a conversation with some friends later. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she quite understands what a podcast is. But she listens to me every time I'm on one, so I'm actually kind of shocked that she doesn't know. So hi mom. Hi, hi Jossie's mom. I, I'm I'm a little worried about this draft because the things that I think maybe would jump out more at me than at you are like really small, and I worry that by choosing mm. tiny jokes, I'm doing the movie a disservice. 
but maybe I'm going to do it anyway. I think you got to balance out your yeah, balance out your okay. team. I think you got to have like a couple big I think guys, you have a meaty okay. one. Mm-hmm. And then I think you can have little guys too, but it's like you need a power forward, you need a point guard. <laughs> and we each get three. Is that right? We each get three. Okay. We each get three. Okay. This is okay. more like a a curling team where there's like mm-hmm. a person who throws the thing and the sweeper, and then a third guy who's also there. So let's <laughs> let's start. Jossie, with you for sure, your your QB pick, your heaviest hitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I thought about this. I was like, well, what if I go first? Okay, <laughs> this is hard because like a bit draft. There's a lot of things that go into constituting a good bit. There's the audacity. There's the execution. There's the humor. This isn't necessarily the funniest bit, but it's like the one that stuck with me hardest, just because I. It just seemed so hard for the, in specific for the payoff they wanted, but my number one draft pick is going to be the underwater, Old West saloon yeah. bar fight. Yeah. Um, even for this podcast, a bar centric podcast, I think it's a really strong pick. Not to talk, not to talk myself up too much, but, um, but it's it's just like so. It seems like something you've seen before when it starts, and then it just so quickly descends into something you've absolutely never seen before. And then even being underwater, and they're like, no, 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 that's not the genre of the fight. The genre of the fight is old old West saloon-style <laughs> bar fight. <laughs> it is both underwater, and it's an old Western, like, like there are guys playing poker who are like, what the hell? And there are can-can like, girls. There's a bartender in a vest that like breaks a bottle over one of their heads. Like when it starts, you I think it's think... just like a saloon that is sunk, but then you realize it's fully functional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like it just it behaves underwater as if it were not underwater. <laughs> I just think it's so absurd. Uh, so that's going to be my number one pick. I I feel good about that. <laughs> um, I'm going to go next, Thomas, just Please. because I I put everyone on blast to have their biggest moment, and you have a lot of little moments. I'm giving you more time to choose. Oh, I got a big boy. one, but you go. You go. I'll be ready. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite giant bit, it's kind of, it's really just the end of a giant bit. It's when uh, uh, Nick Rivers accidentally turns on the bomb that will attract itself to submarines <laughs> and it pulls a submarine in through the side of the prison like immediately. <laughs> and Colin and I were trying to figure out where on earth in East Germany this prison could be located that's close mm-hmm. enough to like I guess the this Baltic mm-hmm. that a submarine <laughs> could come through but the part that did it for me <laughs> is when the uh, when the science dad and Nick Rivers are caught and their escape attempt in the secret lab by the the commie Nazis from East Germany. They put their hands up, and then the submarine mm-hmm. opens, and another guy puts his hands up, too. Like, totally as scared, like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a perfect moment. <laughs> Solid pick, solid pick. All right, uh, this is a, this is a redundancy because I already brought it up, but I cannot, in good conscience, draft a number one pick that is not skeet surfing. 
Yeah, <laughs> I honest, it's like that is that that was coming after my heart for this pick, but like it's so beautiful and it's so it it like is the first thing you see of the movie, but it's not what the movie is about at all. But it is like it it really strikes yeah. the tone, and it contains so many sub jokes within it. Like the mm-hmm. the woman who's lying on the beach whose boobs have made perfect circles in the sand. <laughs> or the grandma who happens to be one of the people rushing to the surf to catch some waves. I, I, yeah. I just, I, <laughs> I have to say the skeet surfing sequence is one of the five funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. And I just saw it. But it, it's, it, 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 it yeah. so spoke to me. It strikes such a perfect chord of absurdity. And like... Just all of the wide shots of a mass of young people running with surfboards and their big guns is so silly. (laughs) And when they're surfing and they're holding them up and trying to steady, like, it is just, it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen, but it's also such a perfect bullseye. I I love it. It's amazing. I will watch the first 10 minutes of this movie a hundred times, and I'll probably watch the movie five more times. And it's like a, it's a really good Beach Boys oh, yeah, parody. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. To the point where they had to give song credit to the Beach Boys because they like really cribbed the, the melody. It's like so full much. on Weird Al, but it's just like a medley yeah, of four yeah, different it is, songs. It's the Weird Al. <laughs> this is Weird Al's favorite movie, by that the way. That makes sense to me. Really? Yeah. That, I was going to say that it really is Weird Al. <laughs> He loves this movie. He he talked about it on Vulture for the underrated column. Not one of the that's ones awesome. that I did. One of the ones that Eric Abris did. Right. So that's um, my big bopper. That's my that's my heavy hitter. You are right. It's a big honker, and it's also great. I don't even know if it's intentionally satire exactly, but it's like what could be more American than the Beach Boys and surfing? If we add <laughs> yeah. gun, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, like it's it feels like a. It feels like it is parroting America as an imperial force. <laughs> it, it is weird that he went on to be like a neoconservative weirdo, unfortunately. He flipped his dang gourd after 9-11, which like a lot that of sucks. people did. Yeah. It's yeah. whatever. We're not here to talk about American Carol, but I did <laughs> some research about American Carol in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> it's necessary. You're doing the work. Uh I've decided we are doing a snake draft. Thomas, do you want to go next? Okay. Oh, I go next? Okay, sure. Um, mm-hmm. So my my medium hitter is the opening of the movie. I know I'm starting with the top, but the movie is so great out the gate. And I, because I hadn't seen it before, I was trying to figure out exactly what the tone would be. Uh, and it's introduced perfectly. So you have a British spy who is escaping from a German soldier and they end up fighting on top of a train car. It's this, it's, <laughs> it's totally mission impossible. And this British mm-hmm. officer is like, Oh fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do, but he sees ahead that there's a bridge with very little clearance. And the German officer is standing up and he goes, okay, I'm going to wait this one out. And so he expects that when the train reaches the tunnel, this officer is going to get clobbered, but when he makes contact with with the bridge, it just is obliterated by his body. He he, he doesn't flinch, uh, and and the whole plan goes by the wayside. And that to me is such a funny visual. The way he comes out the side with just the bricks exploding, it's magic. Yeah, that's really fun. It's like it's one of many moments where I'm like, oh, because like sometimes you're just like, how do you even 
how do you even write something like this? Like, where is it just like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if this happened and you just do it? Like, but that that's one of the moments where you're like, oh, it's just a live action yeah. cartoon. <laughs> like that's and that's such a fun that's such a fun wheelhouse to be in. <laughs> and yeah, it, it just makes you giggle. <laughs> and you're right; it does immediately set up like the the world of the movie, the tone of the movie, and that the movie is like in conversation with other movies because how many times have we seen like that train the train tunnel joke the train tunnel (laughs) bit and the -hmm. fact that it's like oh the old train tunnel check didn't work this time is like a really good way to be like this movie's gonna be dumb y'all buckle up get ready um i think for me my next bit has to be so when La Resistance is trying to free Science Dad, they, uh, two of them dress up like a cow to, <laughs> to break in. And there's some stuff that happens with the cow that I'm less of a fan of. But when they finally get into. Would that be their, Nigel their... Uh, being pleasured by another cow? I think mm. it's when Nigel is bummed by the other cow that I that I particularly dislike, but when yeah. it also he gets blown yeah. by the cow. Yeah. It's both both not great. Not um, great. <laughs> but they're they're dressed up as a cow so they can sneak onto the grounds and get to the power shed and turn off the alarms. And mm. uh Dej- is it deja vu who's in the front or is it I can't remember it's, which of the French. It's another men. one of the French guys. I don't remember. I think we'll I say think Ooh <laughs> yeah, omelette du fromage, something like that. Uh, one of them guys, uh, who is is the one who's always smoking Frenchly, like <laughs> holding it like tightly between his little fingies. Uh, he's he's at the front of the cow, and he has to like uh, take down the alarm system. And his, his hand comes up in front of the cow and makes the, himself smoke through the cow's face. <laughs> And just the <laughs> image of a cow smoking is so yeah. good for me. <laughs> I think I, love, I need to yeah. make a rug out of a cow smoking. I love it's, it. I love any time you have like an appendage that does not belong to an animal mm-hmm. being puppeted as if it does. I think that's that's pretty ripe comedy <laughs> territory. <laughs> You're gonna make me laugh because that's just so silly. <laughs> I just have okay. a I just have a love of things that don't smoke smoking oh yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like i made oh, a yeah. i made a ceramic planter of a turtle smoking weed <laughs> and this guy yeah. this guy who was like a weirdo in high school who wound up being like a, a he's like always second or third build in these cw shows now this guy but mm-hmm. his thing was he used to draw things smoking weed on your jeans that was like his claim to fame <laughs> zeke's claim to fame <laughs> in high school Gray Damon is his name, by the way. He was on uh, American Horror Story. He was on uh, The Nine Lives of Chloe King. They keep trying to make him happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But Gray Damon used to, um, and he called himself Zeke at the time. Where did Zeke come from? Anyway. A a permutation of middle name or? I think it was just self-invention. Just having fun out there. But he Mm -hmm. would, 
if you would request what animal you wanted or like inanimate object you wanted to, <laughs> him to draw smoking a J on your jeans. And it was really an excuse for everybody to touch each other's thighs more than anything Whoa. else. So <laughs> I had a, I had a mouse smoking weed on my leg and then a friend of mine, it definitely peaked with somebody's like, can you do a pot leaf smoking a blunt on my pants? Whoa. And I think after that we retired the bit. Yeah, you're so. like, it's... <laughs> it's heightened to yeah. the conclusion. <laughs> we found it. So, in honor of Gray Damon, my number two pick is cow smoking cigarette. I think that's a beautiful tribute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is really tough now because there's so many. It was really easy when I was just picking one, but now I'm really... I'm, Wait, oh, sorry, Jesse. Okay. I'm going to make the executive decision that we can also talk discards. So when we're done with this draft, we can oh, each yeah. talk a couple of near That's misses. Gonna make, that does make me feel better. <laughs> okay, then... Um, okay, okay. So for my pick number two, I'm going to do... Uh, it's it's kind of a really early on bit, and it's when they're... they Nick Rivers has just arrived to East Germany, and they're looking out the window... And they're seeing, like, the the fascist East <clears throat> German cops, like, uh, harass a German citizen who's, like, holding some a, a brown paper package. And, uh, but the dogs are barking at him as if he's smuggling something, but it really just looks like he's holding a cut of meat. So you see, like, an army of dogs just barking at the meat. <laughs> and... And, like, out of fright, he drops it, and the dogs just tear into it, and the package is just full of dog bones. <laughs> that, it's just so, it, like, I love it because it, like, maneuvers, like, three times before the conclusion is just, like, oh, it's, the dogs are all barking at the package. Like, you think it's, like, oh, it must be drugs or, like. Maybe it's drugs or it's something that they're like sensed to pick up on or like, oh, it kind of looks like he's coming from the deli. That, haha, that's funny that all those dogs want the piece of meat. And then it's just the illicit package is just a bunch of dog bones and they like <laughs> tear it open violently. That that made me laugh so hard. I think it's just like a beautiful misdirect that like ends the, the punchline ends up being like the most like plainly obvious answer to the question <laughs> but just doesn't seem like that should be what it is <laughs> so that's my number two and then the number three is really hard because i have some heavy hitters on here i have some more nuance like subtle details and so i'm kind of stuck between two but i think i'm just going to i'm going to follow my gut i like this i like this bit because it is topical it is also a misdirect and it kind of, like, takes you on a journey that feels a little, like, like, there are points of this movie where it's just, like, purely absurd. Like, it's not even, like, this is the reality. It's, like, the, the filmmakers are playing with the the laws of the environment so much that you just, they're, like, at any point the reality could just drop out. We don't care about preserving <laughs> the reality. Um, but I really like when they do the map bit of, so they do the classic map bit where it's, like, you are traveling, you see a map. That you are going from destination A to B. Like, it's mm -hmm. a flight. I don't remember if it's a flight or a boat ride or a train a ride. Car. They're, they're taken car? from the train to the embassy under the, the dotted line. That yeah, one? so yeah. they do the classic, like, showing the progress, and then you hear the noise of them getting out and, like, getting into a car, and then now you see them stop at stop signs, like, you hear traffic noises. Then it's, like, they're at this, like, complicated map, 
of like, oh, the circles are where they're driving around and they're just driving around everywhere. And then all of a sudden it's like plainly clear that it's a Pac-Man map. <laughs> and it just turns into a, just turns into a Pac-Man game. <laughs> and yeah, I just love it. It's so stupid. Like it's like the stupidest escalation <laughs> of, it's like both already a trope, this map thing. And you've seen funny, like people have upended this trope. I don't know before then, but definitely before uh, or since they have. And then it is all of a sudden a video game. Also, video games are new. And just the scene, <laughs> the scene really looks like a pa- Pac-Man map. Like it's just really well depicted. <laughs> You're just dropped into it. And it's just cool because it's like a little bit of a rug slipped out from under you where all of a sudden the media is different. It's like you're not watching a movie. You're just watching someone playing Pac-Man really seamlessly. And so I appreciate that one. I love that. And that's one that if you were watching without dialogue, it would just be the most delightful escalation. (laughs) Yeah, it would still crush. Yeah. I think for my my last pick is another one that is that would work fine on mute in a bar. It's also another one where it's only happening in the background. And in theory, like Nick and the woman, Hillary, who I'm sure has a name. <laughs> I know her name is Hillary. Cause he says, Hillary, that's a weird name. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's one who's, it's like defy she who's breast defy yeah. gravity. That's right. <laughs> stupid. Um, so, <laughs> so stupid. So Nick and Hillary are having like a sharing their feelings exposition walk through the park. Oh yeah, I think she's explaining about how her her father is kidnapped and that's why she has to like fight for freedom. And in the background, there's a giant <laughs> statue of a pigeon. This is the most absurd. This was my number <laughs> three there- too. <laughs> Oh no! Damn. No, it's great. I've got it all. I have it written you. down for sure. <laughs> and as as they're as they're talking about the, the spy shit and uh, setting up how totalitarian it is in East Germany, these uh, human men sort of flap down onto the statue <laughs> and then uh, pee on loudly. it. Loudly, they piss, they piss the loudly. loudly. <laughs> It's so funny. And then they fly away, and then the scene is over, and we move no, on with our actually, lives. No, actually, one more thing happens. The pigeon statue takes a huge bird no, shit. I missed that. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the ultimate like cherry on top of like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Where, where they get the the guys fly down and piss on the bird statue, and then they then the bird statue takes a huge shit. <laughs> It's, it's real. so funny. Yeah, that that killed me. That the sound design in that scene and the way that their yeah. conversation is gradually mm-hmm. for a moment drowned out by the sound of three men pissing. It's <laughs> so great. It's so awesome. Kills me. Uh, I'm actually glad you said that one, Bethy, though, because my other number three is a little bit smaller, but I love it as well. So this, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about moments that would play on mute at a bar, if you just tuned into this moment, you might think you were watching a horror film. Uh, This image, (laughs) I think, is genuinely striking and frightening and akin to the scene in Mulholland Drive where they leave the diner to peek in the garbage hold in the strange... (laughs) person creeps around and it's just fucking horrifying so in this moment 
Nick has just attacked a police officer, thrown him off of a balcony, and he and Hillary... <gasps> this is my other yeah, number three. And, amazing. Wow. Uh, so we're totally in sync. Uh, so Hillary and Nick are escaping, um, and they want to hide in a closet that says janitor on it. Uh, and oh, Nick yeah. <laughs> and Nick flings the door open, and it is a shallow closet, and in it is standing a man like six foot four, holding a mop, <laughs> just staring out with the scariest eyes you've ever seen. And they make brief eye contact, and Nick slams the door, and, and they go into the prop closet next door. But it is so striking and nightmarish while also being really fucking funny that it's like yeah that's as good as it gets the joke is like that's the janitor yeah yeah it's not janitorial it's janitor (laughs) (laughs) and i love that when they go into the prop room it's full of propellers yeah 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 top to bottom different types of propellers for like planes for boats for like little babies he barricades the door with a big ass propeller Yeah. The great thing about like having a joke per minute is like n- they're so dumb, but like none of them, most of them don't overstay their yeah. welcome. And then before you know it, like there's another thing. Yeah. On. So it, it's just, it's, yeah, it's such a delightful place. And also, you know, <laughs> we've talked about a couple of jokes that don't age well and play yes. a little yeah. shitty in 2021. But, you know, the movie is at least one joke a minute for its 90 minute runtime and like 98 99% of them are still pretty good which is nuts yeah there are like three that don't work for me in a way that I'm like this doesn't even this almost inspires dread <laughs> but it's so dumb that I'm not gonna let it do that to yeah. me <laughs> and now it's gone and there's and a now new it's joke gone. here lost to the wind <laughs> um I actually was thinking of a different time that they're uh that Nick Rivers is attacking people. Actually, I think it might be deja vu uh, when they're finally like sieging the castle to rescue the science dad. And one of them throws a guy off of the balcony of the prison and he just shatters because he turns out to be made out of plaster <laughs> or China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it's what I so thought you were beautiful. Going. It's like so cartoony violence. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Who are your also rans fellas? Okay, here are ones that I really thought about. Um, When it's like when Nick saves the day and we see Hillary and her breasts glow (laughs) in affection. I was like, that's like the most, that's one of the most beautiful depictions of like horny admiration I've ever seen. Like, I know it's like still through the male gaze, but it felt really, it felt, it really rang true to me. Um, I really love, and it's just also so stupid. And it's like, it they, it makes like one of those warm like noises. Yeah. <laughs> I really I thought about that really hard. One that was there are two more that I'll point out because they're just both so silly. When they're watching, they're at one point they're watching a very serious German ballet, and the the gag of the whole thing is that all of the male ballet dancers have gigantic dicks. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that are incorporated into the performance like the the little the light ballet dancers are like on they're on cables so they're like they're like literally they're dancing on the dicks <laughs> yeah they're like they're like leaping from dick to dick like they're walking on air and it's just like so insane it's absolutely insane. <laughs> 
Uh, and then the other one that is like a really, really small detail that always makes me laugh is um, Nick like is trying to show the French revolutionaries like that he's he's like, oh, you guys think nothing of American rock and roll. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to perform for this diner and really show you how I'm not, who was it? It was like Mel Torme. <laughs> Mel Torme, yeah. Mel Torme, who I I was like, I looked it up. It's like, he wrote the Christmas song. <laughs> He's a crooner. I thought it was short for He's Melissa Torme. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really like towards, they're like doing this huge dance number. Like the choreography is really solid. Like it just looks like a big expensive movie musical. They're doing a really good job. But uh, they're doing kind of like dirty dancing, like so- like really ripping it up mm-hmm. type stuff. And at the end, there's just a really quick shot of the male dancers like whipping around just uh, female dolls. Like, <laughs> like they're like swinging them. So <laughs> they're just dolls. And they're like, yeah, like their faces are just elated. <laughs> and that shot... Uh, it's like the same, like when Conan would be like, "We're jumping off the roof," and they just throw like a stuffed, a stuffed doll over the roof. That that makes me laugh, and so that's that's the other one that's on my cutting room floor. <laughs> Thomas, a bit draft. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I got I got four, but I'll go through them fast. So I just there's so much shit in this movie that there's so destroys many, so me. many. But there's a really funny one to me early on where there's this British spy named Cedric who thinks he's, like, moving under the radar in Germany. He escapes in a car um, with a driver, and he gets taken to a junkyard, attached to a magnet, <laughs> and compacted. And you're like, oh, you know, happens to all the best spies. They die when they get smashed <laughs> in a junkyard. And then 15 minutes later, um, Hillary has a knock on her hotel room, and the door opens to reveal Cedric, with a car smashed into a cube around him, and he looks like a strange robot. Uh, and as he's fiddling around inside of his new car uh, armor, he, he like accidentally honks the horn and does all of this dumb shit. And it's just, it's a really, it's a really, really funny joke. Like, oh no, why would he die at the junkyard? He just, you know, now he's got to walk around with the car on him. And then he like ashamedly gets a boner and it's Nintendo. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. when, when like, hillary like leans over him yeah <laughs> and it like, makes sense. it's just so well acted where he seems like horrified by himself <laughs> it's omar sharif yeah, it too is. like respected actor <laughs> yeah 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 it's awesome <laughs> um, another bit that i thought was like insane and probably should have been in my top three which is uh Nick is playing this Macy's song that Jossie referenced earlier for the first time for Hillary, and she's so taken by it that she reaches out to embrace him while he's playing the guitar, and the <laughs> and the guitar like crunches between them, like splinters to wood, <laughs> and as as they're like squeezing each other in an embrace, the guitar wood is crunching and splintering loudly. And again, really good sound design. I I couldn't stop laughing. Um, um, yeah, that movie is called Shop at Macy's and Love Me Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so um, cool. <laughs> that moment is also I'm, we're, we keep interrupting your bits because no, they're please, so good. Please. But that, they're so good <laughs> in in that same scene. It uh, to uh, they do like a discretion pan where they like pan away from the lovemaking and they go from one they go they pan to a fireplace and then they go back and then they pan to a different <laughs> fireplace. <laughs> 
So the room just has two fireplaces next to each other. And then later in the movie, when they're when Nick and Hillary are making out in the air, skydiving, hands away to a fireplace that is also parachuting <laughs> down with them. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay, so so bit number three. Sorry, I keep going. Um, as oh, as they're making their escape through the countryside to find the French resistance, they reach this farm, and Nick knocks at the door, and, and a man appears through a hole, and, and Nick says, is this the potato farm? And he says, yes, I am Jan Potato. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's, good. Yeah. that's, that's pretty good. That gets me. That was... Uh... <laughs> Just like the smallest subversion of expectations is like suddenly the funniest joke in the world, and you're like, "Is it that easy? Yeah. <laughs> why don't Why don't we just?" And do I think that? that's one of the big differences between Top Secret and its lineage of spoofs with stuff like Epic Movie or the later Scary Movie sequels, which is like, mm-hmm. this movie is 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 really dealing in cool wordplay and it's riffing on tropes that are not necessarily associated with like one movie or something, whereas those movies. All of the jokes are simply that they are referencing things in a heightened mm-hmm. way. It's like they're literally just naming another movie or movie star that you recognize. And that's much less funny than just these little flips. Like Top Secret is full of really inspired jokes that refer to yeah. things but are not merely referring to things. Yeah, yeah. They're like happening in this weird magical oh, yeah. space. <clears throat> um, yeah. And then the last thing for me that just I died was when there's the siege at the French resistance headquarters and they're all punching holes in the window to shoot their guns. And, <laughs> and, an awesome and one of them is taking cover by a window and firing out and someone else decides to take cover too, but they don't realize the function of taking cover and they take cover right <laughs> in front of a window. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm done. I'll shut up. Uh, and when he when he breaks the window for the oh camera. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes and, and every and they keep breaking windows like they just at one point there's what like the their um like nine paned windows that have like mm-hmm. and um and I think it's chocolate mousse finds like the one window I know that's not great the one window that hasn't been broken and he breaks it and then later yeah. the uh Nick Rivers does tic tac toe where he breaks a window <laughs> and shoots and then somebody else breaks a window that's an X. And it's so good. Um, and then when he wins tic tac toe, yeah. it's like he yeah, won yeah. the gunfight. It's yeah, <laughs> then he stops shooting because he, he lost. The mission. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, another good moment for the unfortunately named Chocolate Moose is when he just like wildly sprays a machine gun fire. Uh, when like the the perimeter of the resistance headquarters has been breached, and there are now all these East German soldiers like in hand-to-hand combat with all of his friends and he just wildly shoots a machine gun and it just happens to only kill the east germans and everybody else is fine <laughs> kind of, like dust themselves off so good i there's think there's so much good stuff that happens like it, for, when they introduce like six comedy characters at once and you realize like oh everyone is getting jokes still this yeah. is so cool it, it they just like they everyone gets jokes in this movie and i'm like movies that's a really hard thing to do. Everyone is like being given something like there's when like the, and it, it'll come out of nowhere. Like I forget he's talking to what I think deja vu or one of the other Frenchmen. And he's like asking for advice and he's like, you just gotta like be less hard on yourself. Like don't, 
don't overreact when something happens and then like a really minor thing happens and the same guy goes and throws himself out a window <laughs> and, then, and then the scene just continues <laughs> i'm just like everyone um, gets a joke or like a stunt it's so fun yeah i think my last my last bit that i need to shout out is when nick rivers is arrested he is sentenced to death and you see him uh, getting walked to the electric chair by a priest, and the priest is just <laughs> saying every generic Latin phrase you can. So he's like "ipso facto," "quid pro quo," and he goes into even like um, pig Latin, so, "oye, oinge, ote, ide." But the part that I love is at the end. It's the priest that sits in the electric chair and is killed. <laughs> just, and and the, then the, and, the guy's yeah. like, just so you know that we're playing hardball here. We don't it's fuck like, around. This is an example of something that could happen to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, that's a scene, too, that has one of the funniest jokes in the movie to me, which is there is a German officer who says to Nick, look, you better not have killed that cop because the penalty for murder is death. And he picks up the phone <laughs> and is hearing about the condition of the injured officer. And he goes, hmm, mm-hmm, let me know if his condition changes. And then he hangs up and he says, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know about you. I like this movie so much more than Airplane. Yeah, I do too. I like it a little more. I like Airplane a lot, but I like this one more for sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's and Maybe it's just the territory it's like it's just like a it's a high high concept genre parody and i think i respond well to those things and also i do really respond well to just like any sort of music parody like i was trying to think of any contemporary comparisons and i thought of pop star as far as like something that has similar levels of absurdity and jokes and that also and i i also thought of walk hard that's an underrated movie uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 where it's just like the jokes are so consistent, and it's, it's you can tell like the hodgepodge of sources it's kind of borrowing on, uh, but it also feels kind of singular and like it is. It's not like the epic movie thing of just like doing like recognition references. That's and that's all that's important. It's like creating a story of its own, um, and like these like characters. Like I. I Connor for real to me is like a pretty analogous character to Nick yeah, Rivers. Totally. <laughs> and I think it's like a really great protagonist to have where they're just they're earnest but they're privileged, they're like they're kind of jerks but they also have a conscience to to the extent that they can and I I those were like kind of the only two examples of movies I think have as much they're both like great parody and they also have like absurd jokes that like will stick with you like the 30 seconds to mars oh my god (laughs) that is the name of a band connor it is not a fact (laughs) pops are also underrated and should have done better in the it's so fucked up i think that's one of the best comedies of the last 20 years and 10 people saw it in theaters I say I tell people that like i saw a free screening at my college campus and i was like this is gonna be awesome this is gonna be like this is gonna be the, like the super bad. Everyone's going to be watching this and talking about. It. I can't wait to like talk about the jokes with people, and then it just never happened. It's so stupid. Yeah. It feels like a similar thing of like, uh, the comedy sensibilities had like moved past where it was where this one was like vibrating. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. like 
uh, Top yeah, Secret doesn't feel like an 80s movie. It feels like a 70s movie. Totally. Pop Star similarly doesn't feel like, even though it has Judd Apatow's dick, it doesn't fit into the world <laughs> of, like, Apatow comedy. You yeah, know? I wonder, like, what... I'm, I'm trying to see what... Okay, so, like, 1984 Terms of Endearment won Best Picture. I'm, like, trying to see what what would have also been popular at that time if this was a flop. Big Chill... Yeah, maybe it just was, like, too stupid, honestly. <laughs> it's too stupid for everyone's taste. Which, like, that's, like, when you try to get someone to watch Hot Rod, who, like, there are people who are like, Hot Rod is too stupid for me. And I'm like, that sucks. Uh, yeah, that movie that movie is a masterpiece <laughs> to me. I hope someone wants to come on our podcast and talk about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a top five movie for Bethy. More oh, than Popstar, We got Rodheads here. We got three Rodheads. Yeah, yeah, but we're all we're all sweeties for Sandberg. <laughs> we talked about MacGruber briefly, Hot Rod, mm-hmm. and Popstar all all in one episode. But yeah, I, I think also, uh, I think the state of like big budget comedies is perhaps bleaker than it's ever I don't been. Say ever been, but like I'll say it. Yeah, like like we are really on, and uh, like the last movie that made me laughed like this was bad trip which is a prank movie that just came out and also has its parts that i'm like i don't know but like has individual jokes that just like it it reminds you of what movies can do like what comedy movies can do specifically mm-hmm. when they don't take themselves that seriously or they t- know exactly how seriously to take themselves to like respect the audience and like it's uh I don't know. It's like a sweet little agreement you enter with, with those those comedies, and it's just like every every big budget comedy I've seen from the past five years makes me want to die. So <laughs> it really makes you miss these like really tactile, big gaff heavy mm-hmm. joke a minute movies. That it's I, I yeah. You're just like, why can't these exist now? Or like, what has has something changed that can never change back? Or what will the next wave be? of movies that connect with audiences like this. I wonder and hope like the simultaneous release of like streaming and in theaters sucks for theaters, but I wonder if it could be a secret boom boon for comedies. Like, because sometimes people don't feel like if they're going to invest in like the big screen experience, they want to go to the big tent pole. They want to go to the big, the thing that's going to have the big FX and they're not necessarily mm. choosing to go to the to the little comedy. And I wonder whether, like, the success of, like, Bad Trip or, like, Barb and Star mm-hmm. on streaming might nudge things. Get people to invest in yeah. those. Yeah. I hope. I would hope. I worry, and, and this is maybe too doomsday-y, but I worry <laughs> that there is a waning generational appetite for feature-length comedy i think i think gen z and younger i think there's a big appetite for short form and and things like tiktok yeah Yeah. um but but i i don't think people that age watch movies as much as we do which sounds weird but uh, is true i think i mean i have the viewing habits of a gen z (laughs) kid and that it takes a lot to get me to watch a movie as i've already said on this podcast i think a movie is the wrong length for a story period uh and i but i will spend hours watching youtube essays so 
I think that's the that's why I wonder if like the home streaming will like you know being able to watch it and like converse about it, but it's still like on your phone. There might yeah. be something and, there. And uh, with a movie like this, like it is, there's a, there's a level of comedy where you don't need to have that Herculean of a, an attention span. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like it's essentially a Vine compilation. This movie, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, God. with the through line. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, you can you can tune in and out of this movie in the same way that you can tune in and out of Bad Trip, which I also recommend. I think it's great. Yeah, Our yeah. friend Kevin, yeah. who will be on the podcast soon, um, did some writing on that movie. But uh, yeah, it's so Bad funny. Trip. You could walk out of the room for ten minutes, come back, and there would still be really really funny shit that you would be able to enjoy yeah. fully. Mm-hmm. It's and you can ask your friend like, "What did I miss?" They're like, "Oh, well, so they she wasn't there, so now they're going here." And you're like, "Okay." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the plot's the plot's really simple, but the jokes in it themselves are kind of episodic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I, trip that, is really interesting yeah. because they just did a bunch of pranks, and whichever ones worked, they had to write linking footage for. That and was, it's such an interesting yeah. way to do the dang thing. It's really intriguing. Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. No, we're. It, I I loved the piecemeal plot mm-hmm. points. I thought it. I thought they were sweet, and I thought there was like emotional truth to them, and like, but not didn't take itself too seriously. And my my only point of reference to compare it to was I did see the Impractical Jokers movie <laughs> in the year twenty twenty before the world shut down. It was one of like six or seven movies I saw in theaters, <laughs> and so they did a lot better than the Impractical Jokers movie. <laughs> I missed that one somehow. Mm, yeah, it was fun. I went to the movie theater with A-List, AMC A-List, and it felt like getting together with, like, nine strangers to watch TV. It was, <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> it was like, That's watching movies at the bar. Experience. Yeah, it is. Jossie, where can people... That's watching movies at the bar. <laughs> Jossie, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jossie.com. That's... J-O-C-E-Y-D-O-T-C-O-M. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd where my uh, where I talk about movies either dumb or smart. Um, I watch a lot of both and I respond both ways to both uh, both genres of dumb or smart movies. And I'm just I think I'm just Jossie on there. I think you are too. Um, Jossie, do you yeah. have a do you have a LinkedIn uh, where people can find you? Yeah, so I do have a LinkedIn. Um, don't tell my bosses, but I think it says I'm looking for work. But <laughs> I'm doing okay. So if you want to endorse me for PowerPoint on there, my name is Jocelyn Kaufman. I went to the University of Iowa. So <laughs> endorse my public speaking skills. <laughs> All right. Bethy, where can we where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at BethyBSQU on Twitter, Bethy Squires on Instagram. I don't know what my letterbox is. Is it violence gang still? I don't I don't remember what it is. It's yeah, they're so ephemeral. But <laughs> it's like you're just Everybody yeah. on this podcast is also on Letterbox and we keep meaning to bring Letterboxd discourse into the pod, but then we just have too much fun to get into it. <laughs> That's a good problem. Does the have. show have a Twitter, Bethy? The Twitter for the show is movie bar pod. Hell yeah, check that out. And uh, if, if you would like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at handsome underscore pal. And if you want to look at the movies that I think are good to watch at a bar, I have a Letterboxd playlist or 
it's not called a playlist, uh, just a list, a letterbox list of movies that are good to watch at a bar and a list of movies that I have watched at bars. I found Top Secret on that list. And I said, yes, I would like to talk about Top Secret. It's a great list. And then my dream came true. <laughs> Your dream could come true, too, if you look at that list. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. And as always, we have a trademarked sign-off. And that sign-off is... Bye. 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 <laughs>Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. <laughs>